One of the favorite topics I like to discuss is the mistakes that a lot of founders make in their journey of scaling. Um, and then obviously more importantly is like, what are, the, what are the things that they do really well? And what are the lessons that we can learn, learn from this? And what I specifically wanted to talk about was looking at marketing, looking at marketing spend, marketing strategies. What are some of the mistakes that a lot of founders make and what are the things that they do really well? And this is exactly why I'm speaking to Shamir Sashdev. He is the founder of Growth Gorilla, is a marketing agency specifically built for fintech companies where he helps them go to markets, enter new markets, grow or launch products. And he focuses on well-funded fintechs in their scale-up phases. So what we're really gonna unpack here is what do a lot of these founders make mistakes on when scaling their businesses and using marketing spend, but then also at the same time is what are the things to do really well? If you're, you know, if you're where you are in terms of your, your, your scale, um, you know, you, you might be overhiring at that point, really. Um, and you might be bringing in someone, actually, you don't need a CMO on a £150,000 salary. And actually, you can get away with, with a really good head of marketing who could cost you half as much. Um, you know, who's... You know, and, I'm, and I'm not being funny. My, a lot of the times, I, I you know, I'll, 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 you know, I'll come across a head of marketing. I think this individual is more than capable of doing this role. You're probably not going to see need a CMO for a few more years. Welcome to The Founder Files, the podcast that's like eavesdropping on a conversation with a successful entrepreneur over a fireside chat. Join me, Cameron Coots, through this unique experience of unfiltered stories and insights from scaling founders around the globe as they share their ups, downs, and everything in between. Hey, Shamir, and welcome to The Founder Files. This is a topic I'm really excited for and like, I feel like I say that most episodes but this one genuinely because playing on, in the scale-up space and helping entrepreneurs is you know what we do and with you focusing specifically on fintechs and helping them avoid making well at a minimum avoid making costly marketing mistakes but you know making the right decisions I really want to understand more about what that looks like and some practical stories behind it but you know before we get into that do you mind just telling me a bit about how you got to where you are now where this topic is so important to you and all the examples that you've seen about it. Yeah, of course. So, so Cameron, first and foremost, thanks for having me on today. Um, yeah, I, I've got somewhat of an unusual background as, as to kind of how I ended up in marketing. So my my actual background is I was actually uh, an equity broker. Um, I started off um, at quite a young age. Um, you know, I've I, you know, done, uh, done, done my sort of high school and college and stuff um you know had a go at university wasn't quite right for me ended up just working in the city um for a broking firm and then from there really went you know probably worked at probably two or three different broking firms um and then actually then decided to set up my own and, and ran that for a few years um i exited that sold that across over to my business partner um and um then somehow ended up getting a job as as head of sales for a trading platform um, and then ended up commandeering the um, uh, the marketing team because um, effectively there, there, there wasn't any marketing activity going on um, and then realizing really that actually I really enjoyed the marketing more than I enjoyed like the sales and kind of the other bits and pieces. Um, so, you know, how I got into kind of the fintech space really is if, you know, if you look at what an online trading platform is, you know, it's it's fundamentally a website. 
the onboarding journey, and then the the back end or the dashboard and the platform itself. Um, and fintechs in reality are are fundamentally that all all of the B two C stuff anyway. Um, they're a you know a marketing uh, marketing website sign up journey, um, and then some sort of dashboard or app. Um, so we, we were kind of, sort of like first generation of it really. Um, around the time when we went from sort of telephone broking to um, to 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 like desktop trading platforms and eventually web based platforms and then mobile apps. Um, so I did that for about five years. I helped grow that business. Um, grew it up to about just shy of ten million rev, um, and then decided that I just wanted to do something different. Um, and so I decided to set up an agency. It was a bit more of a consultancy to begin with. Um, and then consultancy led to execution and, you know, um, around that time, you know, the fintech sort of space started getting quite hot. You know, the word fintech kind of appeared because uh, it was kind of like financial services sort of pre, you know, 2015. Um, and then, you know, the, the the term kind of started to become a little bit more prevalent. Um, and just coincidentally, my my background just lent into um the fintech space really really nicely because really solid understanding of um the um i suppose the approach that fintechs need to take in terms of acquiring users um the marketing side the sales side um having run a business myself as well um and really being in a position where you know fintechs had you know they, they or operators of fintechs usually are quite technical um or from the product side of, of a financial service that they've decided now to automate and add tech onto it um and i just sat in a really nice space where actually i could kind of complement them with marketing piece and sales piece so yeah we, we kind of started off as an agency for financial services and fintech after about a year or so we just dropped the financial services completely and just focused on on the fintech piece and um kind of here we are sort of five six years later i mean that makes perfect sense if you look at the origination of your career being in the in the finance space and then you know going to sales going to marketing that that's yeah i mean that's a very clear trajectory and um you know if anyone had to think it's like why should i listen to you about fintech i feel like you just gave a really good answer um so now looking at at, at growth gorilla um and when you're going into the the agency space there's a lot more to obviously marketing than just marketing communications and branding and what we do there there's a lot of marketing strategy behind what you're doing and it's really also informed a lot by what it is that these businesses should do in order to grow but i think before getting in next i really want to understand the model and the approach of growth gorilla but why growth gorilla in the first place so i understand how how, how you got to it but but why did why does growth gorilla exist yeah of course so um you know, what, why do we exist? Um, I mean, that, that's, that's a, you know, that probably, you know, profound question that deserves a profound answer. Um, I think, I think in reality, like the reason why, you know, you know, originally I set growth career up because of obviously my, my, you know, interest in marketing, wanting to do more and, and getting, get involved with just focusing on the marketing piece for other businesses, um, and get, give myself some variety. Why we ended up in the sort of, um, fintech and you know and originally the financial services and then the fintech space um was purely just down to to kind of like my background really um but i think you know more so the reason i sort of gravitated towards the fintech bit 
or the fintech side really less than financial services um was really just because you know i like to be involved in interesting projects you know we, we can sell mortgage leads all day um you know and and do quite sort of generic vanilla stuff for lots of financial services companies that are out there. Not there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I quite like doing the sort of more interesting pieces, you know, like, you know, we're, we're launching a, you know, a crypto lending platform into Latin America, um, or we're running, you know, influencer campaigns out in, out in India for a trading platform, um, or, you know, launching a disruptive uh, product, you know, or, or a product that's trying to disrupt the mortgage market in the UK. You know, they're, they're more difficult problems to solve, I think, anyway. Um, and that requires, um, you know, it requires, you know, you know, almost like, you know, broader thinking and, you know, didn't, you know, an infrastructure to kind of actually make that happen as well. It's quite a difficult thing to do because you you know you you're you know as a brand you're naturally going to hire in people from similar sectors uh, or, or or similar sort of brands um, to help you do that, but they're going to kind of come in with like deep seated views on how they should do something, and if they're coming in from a corporate space or corporate background, um, you know they and they haven't necessarily worked with a startup or a scale up. You know, there's there's a sort of a you know there's a steep learning curve there um, around that. Um, kind of in, so so kind of broadly in terms of kind of what we do as a business. Um, I always say there's sort of like four problems that we're solving for clients. Uh, one is developing and you know obviously executing on go to market strategy, uh, growth, um, market entry, so launching into new territories, new countries, um, and then product launches as well. Um, and, and they're all you know difficult things to to master to do for a business right they're high value problems you know how, how do you launch a, a business effectively how do you grow a business effectively you know you've established yourself well in the uk how do you launch that into say the us um and you know you've got a great core line of products but you know you try you know you've tried to launch products before but it kind of fallen flat but you want a little bit more of a you know an approach like a startup to to maintain your agility because um, that's that's what's working these days right you know the the you know the product launches that large corporates are doing aren't aren't cutting cutting through like they used to really so that's that's kind of where we come in so we apply that thinking and then we help do the delivery and it also explains your own philosophy working up to that is because the obviously the expertise of fintech is it's not around okay we're going to try and increase your revenue through uh, specifically Google ad spend, or we're going to be going and building a new website and new narrative branding. But the points around and the way that you also position yourself and brand yourself is very much around this like, like high powered, but like super professional approach. And even if you look at those offerings, it's it's not as simple and straightforward as we've got these services around web design and mm. graphic design, etc. that a lot of agencies have. It's about what's what is the point around what is your strategy? Like, how are you going to take this business forward? You talk about market entry, go to market, um, expansion, the whole points of growth gorilla. And I see your philosophy coming here. And that that that's where the niche of fintech comes in because it not only brings the financial understanding, but also the the nature of what that business is and what it does in different in different markets. And then the approach around what is marketing first and foremost, it is, it's in the word, it's market, right? So you're looking at go to, go to market, market entry, growth and product launch is those are often what strategies 
entrepreneurs are undergoing anyway, but then we'll partner with specific marketing ag agencies to handle the branding and communications of that. And when your specialization is, is from beginning to end of that strategy and how we're going to execute that, that's where we help you. And we've got the capabilities to drive that. And I think that's that's something that uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs need because it essentially gives them less hats to wear in that in that process of trying to achieve that strategy. So tell me about more about your your approach, right? What's your what are some like ideal clients that you've worked with and like what are some of the biggest things that you've done uh to you know help them utilize their funding in the best way? Yeah, so I think um I mean some of the biggest things that we've done in, in how we help them utilize their funding, I think um it's weird because I, I never sort of see it as, as them sort of utilizing their funding. Um, I, I always kind of see it more as, um, let me rephrase that. Um, so, so, yeah, so I think some of the biggest things that we've done really is, um, you know, it's some of the examples that I kind of gave earlier on, which is, you know, we're you know, launching a, a crypto lending platform into, into Latin America. Um, you know, we've been working with um, a company called Way Home for, for about two and a half years now, um, helping them sort of um, uh, disrupt the mortgage market in the UK. And then we've done lots of other sort of weird and wonderful things in between. Um, you know, we pay, payment firms in, in, you know, UK, Nigeria and India, um, you know, a crypto trading platform. We, we launched that in two countries and then grew them out to 26 countries um so so lots of things like that really um but i never really sort of see it as them sort of like utilizing their funding per se it, it's you know the, the view is a little bit more you know we need to help them you know attain a a, a yeah it's more more a goal so so the market shifted a little bit really hasn't it so a year or so ago, you know, it was all about growth, okay? Mm. And it was about driving growth in it um, um, at all costs. Um, you know, quality, you know, didn't matter. It was the numbers. We needed signups and that was it. And now it's um, more about sustainable profitability as soon as possible. Exactly that, you know, and, and yeah, that, 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 that's kind of shifted. So, you know, at the end of the day, we... we you know, we don't make business decisions for clients. You know, if they want us to come in and they want us to drive in lots of users at a certain amount and they want volume, that's fine. You know, we, we can do that. Um, now we can support them in their decision-making to achieve their business goals. So if their goal is at that point that they want better quality customers and they want it to be sustainable, then, you know, we'll make sure we go out and find those sorts of clients for them um, and, and make sure the strategy that we're, that we're deploying is in alignment with that um where the 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 conversation around sort of like the mistakes around um you know after sort of attaining funding can occur it's about having that sort of you know an unclear position on what the company goals are uh alongside not having the internal infrastructure to then measure um the data that that that, that lets you know whether or not you've achieved those goals um, that that's kind of where the mistakes kind of come around. It, it's almost you know so, somewhat of a haphazard approach, you know that 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 kind of really breaks a company um, and not being clear. I think you almost be. I think you're almost better off. And I mean, this is controversial. I think you're almost better off um, 
being really, really clear on a goal on how you think, you know, that's going to grow your business and then execute, executing upon it, even if that goal is incorrect and you're wrong, um, then having, you know, been changing your goals every week, because at least, you know, if you're changing goals every week and you're constantly moving, you know, the goalposts and you're all over the place, um, you know, one week it's this and next week it's something else. Um, then you're, you're, you're guaranteed to fail and that that's just, you know, it's inevitable. It's just a matter of time. You're just going to burn through your money very, very quickly. Uh, at least if you've got a clear vision, and even if it's not the right vision, at least you're picking up learnings along the way. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you can you can almost you know, pivot a little bit quicker, actually, because you've been clear. We've been trying this for a few months now. It hasn't quite worked. Let's try this tact. That's, that's absolutely fine. Um, and then that piece around not having, um, you know, appropriate data, um, is it, just that, that lack of tracking, you know, what's working and what's not working. You remind uh, me of a, a quote that I really like, and I'm going to paraphrase it here, but essentially is the, if, if a sailor knows not to which port they sail, no wind is favorable. So the point mm. is here, I mean, to, to bring into this context is the fact that it's like, if you don't have a clear goal in terms of a direction where you want to go. You can get as much funding as you like, but like, like that's just going to blow you in the wrong direction. When that funding runs out, you're just stranded in the middle of the ocean. Um, mm. And I think that's an important way to, to, to look at it. So for you, when you're engaging with the clients, right, what's your approach towards like goal development, making sure that you are, you know, the, the right fits that you, you clear about where it is that they want to get to? Like it's just that first step of making sure that you're both clear on the direction. Yeah, so, so I mean, we we... We have a, a 30 day onboarding period with all of our clients and, and part of that is a kickoff workshop and we are very, very clear on getting clients to uh, communicate what success looks like, both from a KPIs perspective, so the, the harder KPIs and then also the softer stuff as well, like you know, brand awareness and, and you know, um, you know we want to make sure we've got X number of reviews and, and things like that. Um, and then also then interrogating, I mean, we, we tend to do this even before we, we, we get, you know, we sign a contract with a client, uh, just making sure the numbers stack up, you know, you know, we want 10,000 users by, you know, the end of the month. Um, and we only want to spend 5,000 pounds. Like it, it's not realistic. Uh, you know, like earlier on in the year, I had a, um, a lead that came in and they said, they, they said that they wanted 20,000 people on their wait list. And this, this was like mid-March and they wanted it by the end of April. Um, and, you know, I said, you know, well, it's not realistic. And out of curiosity, what's your budget? And it was like, well, you know, they didn't have a budget. Um, I was like, well, how can you have a target for the number of people you want on a wait list without having a budget? Um, and then, I don't, I, you know, what what compels you to think that, you're going to find 20,000 people that want to sign up to your product in six weeks. Like, you know, it's not, it wasn't chat GPT. I'll tell you that much. Um, and even that was seeded with marketing, the amount of influences that they had pushing that. Um, you know, it, it's about, you know, establishing some degree of common sense. And I've got to be honest with you, the, the, the conversations that, that go from that initial conversation I have, to actually taking a brief and then delivering a proposal um you know we we will just whittle out people and send send them away to do some homework and nine times out of ten they won't come back um because they'd rather sit in a position of ignorance than you know go actually 
I might not get 20,000, I might only get a thousand. Um, you know, people on my wait list is, you know, because the numbers don't add up. Um, and then what happens is, is that they eventually burn through their seed round and they go off and do something else. I find that such a fascinating point because, I mean, all the people I've spoken to and just also my own opinions is it doesn't matter if you look at it, you can look at the the, the arrogance of a founder or uh, the ignorances you put it or the, the lack of willingness to be vulnerable, the lack of willingness mm-hmm. to open or ask for help. All of these things come in and it just can be around the fact that I'm not willing to necessarily change my mind or change my approach based on input going here. And the fact mm-hmm. that you've got like an, a metric around that is like nine out of 10 of these businesses that we say is like, listen, you need to think more about your strategy and your goals and what you want to do. Actually don't come back. And it's like, it's very easy for me to associate that. But was like, well, why do you think 90% of startups fail? Right? Because they go into the market, but they find someone who's a market expert in this area and they say, go do this, this, and this, and they don't want to do it. And then, well, nine out of 10, it makes perfect sense. The one out of 10 that does come back, what happens is they usually implement these learnings and go forward. Mm. So we've mentioned direction we mentioned a couple of kpis i've even brought in mindset and mentality there uh what are what are some of the other mistakes that you see a lot of founders make um you know when when you when fundraising and then after fundraising specifically in their marketing yes in marketing i think you know there's there's you know there's definitely a couple of things i think you know one of the key things is i think not bringing in the right um the right person to lead your marketing activity um depending on kind of where you are within your within your journey um you know i think there's it's almost like you know almost like over hiring and then under hiring are kind of like two common common issues so on one side of the fence you'll see a lot of sort of c stage series a type um companies um you know they'll, they'll have a junior level junior junior level marketing person in place because you know effectively they're just trying to save money um and then they expect that that individual to run um you know their all their social media accounts uh all their paid activity their crm activity their branding sort out the events sort out the decks for the sales team um you know write all the blog posts and all of that sort of stuff and it, it's just really you know it's ridiculous because you're, you're setting that individual up to fail and then to be fair to that junior individual, they want to upskill themselves and they see this as a great opportunity. And then they're kind of like, sla- you know, slammed with all of this work. And, you know, I have these conversations with them. They're like, you know how it is in a startup. It's like, well, no, it shouldn't be like that. It should be clear direction and you shouldn't be thrown into the deep end. Um, and I think you're better off hiring someone who's slightly more senior who's um, had experience of working in, in that environment and they can give you as a founder clear direction on what what uh, what resources are are actually needed. So, you know, there's a time and place for for generalists, and and when you're scaling up, you know, and you've you've got some funding, a, de- you know, a decent amount of funding, um, you know, the the extra 10, 20, 30 percent you'll spend on a slightly more senior person in marketing, um, you know, it'll, it'll go the distance because that 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 experience is. Um, you know, you, you can't buy that experience in. So just on the hiring point there exactly is because when you're in a startup mentality is you you need Swiss army knives, right? Because you need people that can do a bit of everything because you're doing a bit of everything. Everyone's wearing all these hats. But when you're going into scale-up mode, you need to 
you need to start specializing. You need to start realizing that one person can't be a whole mm. marketing team, right? And you also need someone who can operate at a strategic level thinking marketing strategy to turn that into practical steps and then people that can execute and run the run these um um run these campaigns and also have the attention to detail to pick up the data. Because mm. I can guarantee you the person who's good at doing this and the person who's good at, who's good, good at doing that are two different people. Uh, yeah. And it's always going to be the case. Trying to find one summer, one person to do both um, is not going to work. And you need to think about, you know, what is it that you, what is it that you build in? Do I internalize the capability of the marketing operations and then outsource to someone like Growth Gorilla to help with the strategy? Or is it the other way around where you get in that, that chief marketing person to be able to provide that strategic input and then you outsource the the execution um so yeah, it's that, interesting that's as well it, it, it's you know hiring in a cmo at the wrong time as well right so you know you're 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 you know you can bring a cmo in um but if you're you know if you're where you are in terms of your 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 scale um you know you, you might be over hiring at that point really um, and you might be bringing in someone actually you don't need a CMO on a hundred fifty thousand pound salary and actually you can get away with with a really good head of marketing who could cost you half as much um you know who's you know and I'm, and I'm not being funny my, a lot of the times I, I you know I'll, I'll you know I'll come across a head of marketing I think this individual is more than capable of doing this role you're probably not going to see you need a CMO for a few more years you know, at head of marketing at that level, they can do the strategic piece. They can do the thinking. They've got experience. They've probably got one or two areas that they're really competent in, and then they're going to need some agency support. Um, and that that's going to be more than enough, more more than enough for for um, you know for a um, um, you know for for, for a scale up, so you know a, a decent size sort of Series A. Where you start entering, you know, the realms of series a to series b and i think the so i think the other thing as well here is that when we start using terms like series a series b and stuff like that like it almost implies that there's like fixed points when you need to hire people in reality it's more about the the, the funding that you've got right because there's series a's out there that are three million there's series a's out there that are 30 million and they're, they're two very 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 different type of operations this podcast is brought to you by metavolve for founders who are committed to scaling their business, but are tired of wearing 12 different hats. For founders who want to focus on their next stage of growth, but are worried about their customer and employee satisfaction. Metavolve helps you build the structures, systems, and management team that you need to elevate yourself out of operations. It's time to free yourself up to focus on growth. Do it now with the entrepreneurial partners that put your customers and your people at the core of your scaling strategy. Metavolve, empowering leaders, evolving businesses. Point there, maybe just for the listeners as well. Look, at my view is, and I don't know about yours, is what Series A and Series B just signifies for me is just two different life cycle stages. Series A is essentially you found product market fit and you're now in quite a high growth state and you're having to scale up relatively quickly. Mm. Series B is at a point when you've done that, but now you're trying to mature your business. You're trying to optimize some of your operations and you're trying to expand into different markets mm. and diversify your revenue stream. So it's really going from one core market to multiple, but doing it in a very mature, much more mature way than a startup mentality. So those are the two things. The amount of funding depends entirely on the business model. It's just about those stages is what is it that the business needs in order to hit that next stage of its life cycle. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and, and on that note, like, you know, a CMO can come in at, uh, I'll probably say a decent size Series A, definitely a Series B. That's when you need a CMO. 
um you know because then yeah like you said you're trying to make things a little bit more mature you need to establish your branding a little bit more because don't forget when you're sort of series a you know no one really, give, really cares about your branding all that much you know it's very very much direct marketing you know we're using you know performance channels to drive in users it's for b2c by the way performance channels to drive in users you can be you can afford to be a little bit scrappy but yeah once you've suddenly got you know 50 100 million coming through the front door you know that's when you could go right we now have to really you know level up what we're doing and that's where awareness becomes a big part of the overall marketing activity so yeah hiring is is definitely you know yeah mistakes was a strong word but something that needs to be seriously considered um I think I the other thing comment on that. So sorry, Shamir, is the, just the fact that it's like from a marketing agency's perspective, that thinks very strategically about scaling fintechs. And we're talking about what are the mistakes that people make with fundraising? I've just, I, it just, I find it so like reinforcing for me that your first point is hiring, right? Making sure that you've got the right team in order to be able to deliver this in the first place. And it's about how are you, how are you building that and the capabilities in terms of who you're using as your partners and suppliers versus who you bring in Tony. And I just, I just find that I just want to really reinforce that, the, the, the fact that it's like, you've got the direction, but now you need the people to do it. And whether you partner with them or bring them internally is, is such a critical point. Um, making well, the right yeah, hires but, is essential. Yeah. As, as an agency, it's, you know, it's really, really difficult for us that if we've got, and again, no offense to start, you know, junior marketers out there, uh, you know, you're all going to be future CMOs at some point, so I wouldn't stay on your good side. But you know, a, someone who's sort of a, a junior position in marketing may have not dealt with an agency before. Um, they may have not done a hiring, you know, they may have not appointed an agency before, so therefore doesn't know how to, um, you know, acquire one and procure one. So that's an issue within itself. Um, and then once they, you know, the agency is actually in place, um, you know, does the junior mark in a junior marketer in the business? Do they have the sway and the sign-off, you know, capability in place? Because otherwise, what's going to happen is you could end up stuck in a position that every little thing needs to be signed off by the CEO or the founder, or worse, the CFO. Um, and, and, and then basically what happens is, is that it's just, it's just set up for failure. Um, whereas if you've got someone who's a little bit more senior, who's dealt with that, they've, you know, they've procured the right agency and then they're in a position where they've been given the autonomy for, to, you know, for, for sign off, which means that the agency can kind of carry on. Uh, and let's not forget, you know, uh, you know, it, you know, agencies, you know, I love it when agencies kind of come and go, hey, we'll do everything for you. And, you know, we, we you know, you're not going to have to lift a finger. We've got it all covered. That's absolute nonsense. We are going to create more work for you in a positive way. Right. Because we're going to suddenly, you know, we're suddenly going to put five bodies on something. And, you know, you're going to need someone who can coordinate those five bodies internally for all of the extra bits and pieces that need signing off and need approval and all of this sort of stuff. It's more work. It's a job to manage two or three agencies. You know, I, I had a, you know, when I, when I was in house, I had a eight person uh, marketing team and, um, you know, I, I had one that was looking after the SEO agency and the paid agency, one that was looking after the media buying agency um the other one that was looking after some direct suppliers uh, like bloomberg and stuff like that um and then i was managing the out of home stuff you know it, it's you know there's a lot of work that goes into that you know we were spending a couple of million a year um so you know it's it's yes yeah, it's, it's not you know it's not just stick someone in and anyone will do you've got to think about that individual um 
sorry, I was going to say something else as well. And I feel like we've been off the middle of the tangent there a little bit. Yeah, so I, I, I'll, just, I'll just wrap that up. Um, so to summarize the point there, and it's, obviously we're talking about hiring, but actually it's about how critical is my marketing capability to my business? If you're in the B2C world, you know, that's, it's, you're, you're dead in the water or you're growing. That's, that's the main difference. And part of that is thinking about how is it that I build this team, but also use agencies in order to further that. But most importantly, it's not just about having that team is who can also be the person that can maintain those relationships with agencies, pick the right ones, manage the, manage those campaigns and what's going on and be able to uh, have the autonomy and authority to do so. And I think that's, that, that's a key point in order for this to be, running well and i think that's one of the main mistakes is they are mm. the point is they often throw someone too junior at this when it's actually quite complex what would you say is the next main mistake that a lot of these businesses make um data and tracking really i think i think that's the you know one of the biggest issues that that we see um and i, I was having this conversation earlier on um with um with, with the cmo actually of a, a of a client of ours and um you know, we, we, we've got our own podcast. I plug it now, the FML podcast. Um, and if you if you listen to those, the, the common theme between the largest brands with the, with the, when we're doing the interviews with the marketers at some of the biggest, success, most successful brands is you will hear them always turn around and say, oh, yeah, analytics, data, tracking. You know, it, it's it's common. It's, and it's, it's no, you know, it's no coincidence that the brands that perform the best are tracking absolutely everything. Um, you know, and commonly what we'll find is, is that our oh, dev are tied up in product. They can't implement this tracking, you know, solution or whatever it is, or, um, yeah, that's on our to-do list. And it, you know, it's, it's been, been, you know, keeps getting kicked down the line for six months, you know, sit seriously, just, you know, take a common sense approach to this. It really, this really annoys me if you want the truth. Um, Take a common sense approach. If you are asking someone to spend money to acquire users, why are you not tracking or why are you not giving them the capability to track um, the performance of that activity? You know, user signs up, goes into, you know, we know how much it costs probably for them to sign up because we can see that from Google Analytics, roughly speaking. Uh, and then thereafter that, especially with fintechs, you have your sign-up journey and then you've got the back end which obviously has like the funding or the deploy you know the the disbursement or whatever action it is that determines whether or not that's an active user right if we can't see that then we don't know um the, the efficiency of the marketing and then on more moreover we don't know which channels are performing the best and so therefore how can we optimize marketing that will ultimately then lead to you know us getting more users per per dollar, per pound, per rand, whatever it is, um, you know, and so that infrastructure needs to be set up. And in reality, the um, the setting up of tracking is not days, you know, it's not even weeks and months worth of work. You can do it in a sprint. That's all it takes. You can have one reasonably decent developer, um, developers, you know, they, they don't like marketing anyway. So, um, one reasonably decent developer can, can set this up in a set it up in a sprint. Um, and you just need to make sure you've got some sort of product analytics tool like a mix panel or a heap, an amplitude, for example, making sure you know Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager is set up properly for them. And if you're using an uh, um an app, 
then you want an apps flyer and adjust. Um, and, and God forbid, if you've decided foolishly to set up branch, you can use branch as well. Um, you know, that sort of core mix is going to give you the data that you need. And then that's going to give your, your marketing team the data that they need to make really solid decisions um, and then be able to actually scale up your marketing. Otherwise, what happens is scale stops and it, and it, and it just, when I say it stops, it comes to a grinding halt. So what happens is that you start spending money, the amount that you're spending starts getting a bit tasty. And then the question at some point comes up, okay, well, how much is it costing us per user and what's working? And then you just get shoulder shrugs everywhere because no one really knows. And then everyone goes, oh, right, well, we shouldn't spend any more money in that case until we until we know. And then the solution to it is we'll get tracking sorted out. And then it's sitting with a dev team. And it keeps just getting kicked because it's not a product feature that we desperately need for our customers. Yeah, we should um, rather, we should build a we should build a dark mode instead of building in the the tracking of of this of our customer acquisition. And I think that's the point is that you you you've emphasized so much of the infrastructure and how to do it, and the fact that it's it's just a prioritization exercise and stop kicking the can down the road. But for me, it's also regardless of what stage you're at in your business is that a, a very simple question that you need to be able to ask at, at the top management level of a business, whether you're wanting funding or not, is how many customers are we acquiring per month and what is our most successful channel to acquire them? That's it, right? You can't answer those questions. Then you probably need to start rethinking about all the tactics that you're throwing around in terms of your marketing and go back to what is the actual strategy in the first place and how are we measuring this? Yeah, absolutely. And, and everybody wants to test, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we, we want to test creative, we want to test landing pages, this, that, and the other and stuff. You can't do any of that until you've got a baseline. So it throws your, you know, the, the, the you know, and then if you want to talk about sort of another mistake is it, not enough testing, but it stems from the fact of uh, having um, the, uh, the, the infrastructure in place actually measure that. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so the next mistake is just not enough testing um going on and and, and that, i think that's culture as well for me so um you know we all we all talk about that sort of failing forward and and um you know um you know move fast and break stuff for that i think zuckerberg said and all of that sort of stuff and and, and that needs to be fostered at the highest level um uh, you know there shouldn't be any uh, ramifications for breaking something or messing something up or uh, testing, you know, spending some money on something and it didn't quite work. Because obviously as long as it's done within reason, um, you know, that, that should be, you know, all of your team members should be given almost like free reign to go. I've got this idea. I think it could work. I want to test it out. Let me test it out at a small level and, you know, then being able to run with it. Um, and then if they can measure it, it's just going to make life easier at that point. And I think that's also just a consequence of the first two points, right? So if, you, if you've got a really strong and capable team and you're tracking and measuring things, for you to go and test an experiment becomes a, a no-brainer and your ability to make sound decisions off of that just becomes part of the consequence of having good people and good tracking. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, you'll... you'll Again, and then that experience will come through, right? Because they'll kind of know what threads to pull on. Um, and the other thing about experience as well is, is that, um, you know, you, you can actually save yourself a lot of testing just because someone's done something before and then kind of know that it works. And, and you know, 
And sometimes you might just want to double check that, but then you can also throw such a small amount of budget at it and go, and you can get a bit of a sense of direction. Go, actually, okay, fine. We understand that. We trust you. Um, and then I think, you know, kind of other areas or, or, or other mistakes is, um, and this might sound counterintuitive as an agency that obviously benefits from clients spending money, um, is spending too much too quickly as well. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, with spending a lot of money out, out the game, but it's got to be, um, it's got to be predicated with, with, um, having the right data to support why we want to spend that degree of cash and going big, you know? So, you know, we see a lot of, you know, in the UK, we see a lot of, um, brands will, will suddenly start doing a lot of out of home really, really quickly. Um, you know, and, and, and I think nine times out of 10, what's happened is, is that they've got a chunk of cash, um, and the right agency comes along and gets, spins them a great story of why they should do some advertising on the tube. Um, and they go and do it. And there's also like an ego boost piece kind of attached to it as well, because do some big out of home advertising. Well, that that's 40 grand for two weeks worth of work, you know, for two weeks worth of advertising. And that's great, but is the messaging right? You know, is that the right medium to, you know, to reach your target audience? Have you nailed down all of your performance channels as well? Now, you know, there are, there are arguments against that. Um, and I think certain scenarios and circumstances, it can be absolutely the right thing to do. Um, because, for example, you might have a really competitive market space and you need to drive awareness. Um, but you know, that, that awareness piece needs to be backed up by some sort of activation piece, you know, amongst the users that you've driven awareness with. So as long as you're kind of thinking about that, um, or you need, you know, you need mass adoption, um, or, you know, that from previous activity, you've got product market fit. And you, you know, perhaps pay channels aren't the right, you know, the, the you know, performance channels aren't quite the right channels for you. But then there's kind of other ways that you can test that as well. You can go down the influencer route and stuff like that. Um, but I think just being clear on why are we spending all of this money on, on out of home TV, this, that, and the other, are we doing it because it's a genuine route to acquiring customers? Um, or are we doing it because we've got a hundred million pounds sitting in the bank and we feel like doing it? That's yeah, very good point. Um, so if I had to summarize the the mistakes and stories so far, so the first one comes down to mindset and mentality. Like, am I willing to take feedback, right, and learn? I think then that again, I would, I'll just say how it, it's a nice flow of everything else because if you're not willing to take feedback and learn, you can have the best head of marketing in your team. But if you're not going to listen to them and absorb what it is that they're saying, how is it going to affect your decision making moving forward? And also, you need to be able to trust them in order to make the decisions on behalf of you to do so. Because then when you've got the right team to manage the right agencies and capabilities uh, in your marketing to be able to drive your business forward, and they've got the right, the right tracking and metrics and measurables and data in order to do so, you can experiment at a far faster rate, you can experiment more effectively, so that when you get to a point of getting a lot of funding, and you're going to make a decision of, of, of dropping millions onto a specific marketing campaign in different channels, it's no longer a gut feeling, or it's no longer about uh, an ego uh, or an emotional check. It's about the fact that this is a data driven decision. And we've just gone through like, that's the optimal route to take through. But obviously, the, the mistakes underneath that are 
not being willing to learn. The second one is 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 hiring someone too junior um, uh, for for the role, not measuring things and focusing too much on on building other stuff and ancillary features. Uh, fourth is not treating things like experiments and not actually looking at how things are improving mm. and working. And then the final one is is making decisions on on marketing campaigns based on what you feel is going to be right rather than what is proven to be right. Is that a good summary of what you've said so far? Yeah, I would say just on on, on the last point, it's it's um, I would say rather than what it feel you know what what feels right because I think you know ultimately from a marketing perspective, you know, um, a lot of it is driven from you know intuition uh, and experience. I think it's more about um, doing marketing for marketing's sake and also choosing channels to to kind of like boost boost egos. Um, you know, we we I, I literally had a a workshop earlier on with a with a client. And um, there was kind of like one thing that they really, really want to try. And I had to, I, you know, I, what I said to them is that I'm, I'm really, really sorry, but you may not get to try this because we might just have to be really boring and just stick to the stuff that works. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we want to all just do sexy, fun campaigns and stuff like that. And I think that's great for, for you know, you're trying to be viral awareness and that sort of stuff. But there's time and place for that. And for with this particular client, we've got a very, very sort of a tight remit that we need to stick to. Um, you know, there's very, very little mar- you know, margin for error. And if we get a bit sort of almost like too too creative with some of the campaigns, you know, there's always you know a risk that creativity may not necessarily land. And then we could burn a chunk of the budget and then have nothing to show for it. Um, and, and it's, you know, it was my responsibility just to be the kind of the voice of reason at that point. So Shamir, you've given such valuable perspective and insight and actually very practical points that regardless if you're in the fintech space, I think any entrepreneur can take um, some very solid wisdom wisdom out of this. But I think to put it back to you and Growth Gorilla, tell me a bit more about, you know, what does the next 12 to 18 months look like and what are you excited about and what are some of the challenges that you're going through? So next 12 to 18 months... Um... So my, my, my big sort of focus, um, you know, a couple of things, really. We, we've launched an influencer marketing service at the sort of, you know, we, we had some joined back end of last year. We kind of officially launched um, Q1 this year. So really want to sort of start pushing down the path of the influencer marketing piece. So um, kind of joining up influencer marketing with um, performance marketing, so paid social activity. Um, and then start making kind of inroads into like um, the creative piece. Um, I think we'll end up naturally becoming a little bit more, uh, from a delivery perspective anyway, a little bit more sort of focused around the sort of social um, channels, just because I think that's just where the market is heading. um, And, you know, where I think, um, you know, platforms like TikTok are, are, are growing exponentially. And that's given us a great insight into knowing that, you know, people want video, short form content. And now we've kind of got an additional channel alongside the the traditional Instagrams, Facebooks, YouTubes, um, and Twitters. So I think, you know, that's going to be a really exciting space. Um, so yeah, push, push pushing, you know, down the influencer path, creative path, and, and social path. That's going to be the next sort of 12 to 18 months for us. Um, I think alongside that as well, um, we we're getting a bit of a stronghold in North America. So um, very likely we'll have some sort of, you know, we, we're fully distributed as an agency. So for me to turn around and say we're going to open up an office in, in um, the US is almost like almost disingenuous because 
technically we can be anywhere. But um, I think we'll probably cement ourselves a little bit more in, in North America, probably New York or Toronto, um, just so that we can start sort of growing our business, you know, a little bit more in the North American uh, space. Um, and then really um, just continuing to do sort of, you know, more exciting, um, bigger, interesting um, projects. You know, I'm... Uh, you know, my, my view is, is that we, you kind of get to reinvent yourself with every, every new client that we bring on. So, you know, and, and then kind of couple that with a phrase of, you know, like, you know, growth happens at the edge of, edge, at the edge of comfort. So, you know, when something that comes in, is like 85% of what we do. And if we think we can deliver on that final 15%, then we'll kind of push for it. And, and I think that naturally helps you move forward as a business, you know, certainly as an agency. Um, so, you know, it'll be continuing to sort of bring on sort of more bigger, exciting projects and try, try and sort of push the boundaries there. Um, and then the kind of things I'm excited about really is, um, look, you know, at, at the moment, the markets and the economy really is, is going through a bit of a funk, you know, recession. Um, and, and we've got to fight our way through that. And, and you know, as many businesses are going to, you know, going to have to as well. And I think everybody's going to be touched by it, you know, and we, we've felt the impacts, you know, a lot of my friends who are, you know, agency founders as well felt the impacts. Um, but kind of like, you know, aside from that, it's kind of thinking, you know, I think the excitement kind of comes from, you know, how can we buck the trend? You know, what can we do to buck that trend and grow in a shrinking market or, or a declining market? And we, we're on course to do that. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of see where we, you know, where we end up at the end of this year um, and, and the kind of projects and clients that we end up working, working on, working with. Um, challenges, you know, it, it is about, you know, the, the market at the moment, you know, funding is, is a lot tighter. Um, so the, the kind of, um, you know, the, the volume of clients that are getting funding, you know, or prospects that are getting funding has decreased. But the interesting thing is, is that we're getting a lot more interest now from more mature, established fintech and financial services companies. And, you know, from their perspective, it's very interesting because a lot of them have got a war chest of cash. And they know that, that you know, the, these upstarts aren't going to be as prevalent. Um, they're getting a bit of, you know, that, 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 that lead that these fintechs had on them. That gap is now closing. And you know, they know that they're facing a difficult market so that they know that they have to do something a little bit different. And so the projects that are coming in, have, you know, have been actually from the more established firms um, and they, you know, they want to do, you know, more interesting, exciting things. Um, so, you know, as much as, you know, these are challenges, I think there are opportunities as well at the same time. Sounds like an awesome time to be part of Growth Gorilla. Um, so Shamir, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for such uh, an insightful conversation. And I'm just excited to follow your growth as well. I just have one final question for you. And that's, what's the one question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you that you'd like to answer now? Um, do you know what? I always ask this question at the end of my podcast as well. And um, it, it, it's um, now I know how my uh, my guests feel. <laughs> um, no, I, I think we kind of covered the whole lot. I mean, I think we could do the whole thing around, you know, like you know, why work with Growth Gorilla, you know, for your fintech versus, you know, um, other agencies who, you know, uh, don't operate in that area and and kind of all of those sort of bits and pieces. But I think, um, 
I kind of think what I've gone through today kind of almost like implicitly answers that question anyway. So um, no, I think we kind of got it all covered really. Shamil, thank you very much. It's been great to have you and can't wait to follow the rest of your journey. Amazing. Thanks, Cameron. What an awesome and practical and insightful conversation with Shamir now. And I don't want to repeat myself too many times. I know I've said this, but I do want to reinforce that the key lessons to take away from this is what are the main mistakes that a lot of founders make? The first one, as we as we know too much, is is the identity, the ego, lack of vulnerability is just not being willing to learn, take feedback um, and essentially take another approach. The second one is is then making the wrong hires and specifically trying to get junior people to do work that requires more seniority or someone who's more strategically orientated. The third one, which uh, would, would seem maybe obvious for FinTechs, but clearly isn't, is, is the, the tracking, the metrics, the measurements to make sure that you are seeing the results of what it is that you are doing and being able to see what your best channels are. The fourth is experimentation and testing. Again, another obvious one you think is embedded into entrepreneurship, but it's not necessarily too deliberate and being experimental and testing in the approach. And then the fifth one and final one is being more intentional about what is the campaigns, what are the channels that you want to be going through and how is it that you're doing that and making very informed informed decisions. Um, so those are the mistakes, but also the solutions are embedded right in there, right? So making sure that you've constantly got a growth mindset, you're hiring the right person for the right stage of your business that can provide a specialization and then outsourcing the rest of whatever is you needed or a blend, whatever you need to do. So make sure you've got the right metrics in place and the measurements in place that are showing the progress towards your goals. Oh, and that's one thing I forgot is having clear goals in a, in a good direction. And making sure that you're taking a constant testing and experimentation approach to see what's going to learn and then using all of that to make well-informed decisions. So based on that, I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. I hope you take that practical insights and I hope you can you know, implement something different in your business. And if you manage to get something from this and you have changed something in your business, I would love to hear us. I'd love to hear what it is that you've done and what you've done from this podcast. So please reach out to me. And if you like this, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, follow, share. You know the works. I'll see you next week. Cheers.